It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. It was a big football day yesterday, huge. And the Kansas City Chiefs are going back to the Super Bowl, second straight year. Only a few teams have done that. And four of the six years that Patrick Mahomes has been the quarterback, they've wound up in the Super Bowl. It's hard to maintain that level of consistency. Now, the game against the Baltimore Ravens, who had a better record and were favored, was tight in this sense. Kansas City got out to a 14-7 lead, later became 17-7. So, okay, the Ravens need two scores to even it up. And had they not made two mistakes, they would have won the game. And I've never seen anything like the first mistake. The Ravens receiver is charging into the goal line, and on the one-foot line, he loses the ball, knocked away by a Chiefs player, and the Chiefs recover. So no touchdown and no field goal. Later in the game... Baltimore, who was playing at home, mounts another drive, closing in on the end zone. And Jackson, the quarterback, throws. And it's intercepted in the end zone. How do you do that if you don't have a guy open? You don't risk a turnover. Those were two touchdowns that, if Baltimore had made them, would have beaten Kansas City. Though I don't know because... The Chiefs are just, they pull out these clutch games. Uh, Taylor Swift update. In the first half, <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing this. In the first half, um, you know, there was several shots of her. And one time the camera was on her and she was looking at the screen to see how long she'd be on. And the camera kind of lingered and she mouthed the words directed at the CBS cameras, go away, please. And that went viral. Um, second half, I, it may, she was either up once or not at all, so maybe CBS felt stung. When the game was over, no Taylor Swift reaction shot. But, of course, she went down on the field to hug Travis Kelsey, her boyfriend, and, you know, put herself on public display. Look, I understand that you want some privacy, but come on. This is the most famous singer on the planet, a billionaire, certainly has been very public about her relationship with Travis Kelsey. And now, you know, a lot of people were rooting against Baltimore just so they could have a Taylor Swift Super Bowl two weeks from now. And then the late game, which I did not see, I happened to see a headline. It said Detroit Lions uh, 24, San Francisco 49ers 7. I said, well, you know, that game's over. Turns out furious comeback by San Francisco in the second half to win it by three points. You know, Detroit was kind of the Cinderella team this year. So the Super Bowl is San Francisco versus Kansas City. Meanwhile, you know I've been talking about this bipartisan border deal and how a lot of Republican senators, as well as Democratic senators, wanted this to happen, or on TV saying it should happen. And then Donald Trump said, I don't want it to happen because it's not a perfect deal. And suddenly it seems to have collapsed. Mike Johnson, the speaker, calling it DOA. Um, and, you know, this is Trump's style in terms of not hiding anything. He just tells you what he thinks. 
Donald Trump said he wants to be held responsible for blocking this bill, which President Biden is trying very hard to get, in part because the border is a tremendous liability for him, said three years to get this under control and has failed, and in part because he wants a deal for the Congress to be able to send military aid to Ukraine and to Israel. Now, at a rally in Las Vegas over the weekend, Trump says, there is zero chance I will support this horrible open borders betrayal of America. I'll fight it all the way. A lot of the senators are trying to say respectfully, they're blaming it on me. I say, that's okay. Please blame it on me. Please. He wants the credit. Now, one of the provisions in here is that President Biden would have the authority to shut down the border when it becomes overwhelmed. And here's what I don't get. And I said this yesterday on Media Buzz. If the President of the United States wants to just declare a national emergency and shut down the border, he could do it. But he doesn't want to give up the leverage of getting the other thing he wants from Republicans in Congress. But I think he needs to do it. If he can't get a deal, he needs to do something dramatic. I think the immigration for Republicans is, is probably the number two issue just behind the economy. And for many, it may be the issue. Anyway, hope you had a good weekend. And if you didn't see Media Buzz, we've got most of the segments online talking about everything from uh, the coverage of the New Hampshire primary to the mental acuity contest that's going on right now. Everybody jumping on the other side, whether it's Trump or Biden. And obviously, Biden at 81 is the one who has the more serious problem as viewed. The age issue is seen as a bigger problem for him. But now there's an attempt by the media, by Democrats to say, well, look, Trump's 77 and he mixed up Nikki Haley and uh, Nancy Pelosi. And even in a speech over the weekend in South Carolina, Joe Biden mentioned that very thing. So... But the big story, all day Thursday, all day Friday, and I see it's the lead story today on the morning shows, is the E. Jean Carroll verdict. Story number one. So I told you on Friday, if you were listening, uh, about how Donald Trump wanted to testify. The judge didn't let him say much and actually struck a few of his answers or a couple of his answers from the record. Late Friday, that jury in Manhattan ordered the former president to pay writer E. Jean Carroll in her defamation suit $83 million. Now, that is far more than she had asked for. I'm having trouble remembering whether she asked for $10 million or $20 million. $83 million. Now, Trump is rich. But the question is, how much cash does he have on hand? And also, if he gets hit with a big, huge financial penalty, and his firm does, in that civil fraud trial, where he's also attacking the judge, uh, is that going to strain his available resources? Would he have to uh, sell some assets? But there's also the question of, is she ever going to see this ludicrous amount of money? For one thing, I think it, it gets knocked down on appeal to a more reasonable figure. But another is if the appeals drag out, Trump is very good at dragging out litigation. 
So that 83, in case you're wondering, 65 million in punitive damages awarded by the jury. And the rest is, you know, reputational damage and things like that. Now, E. Jean Carroll is 80 years old now. And she testified that, you know, Trump's taunts and lashing out at her, uh, including on social media, had led to an onslaught of negative attacks on her on social media, no, no surprise, and in her email that scared her and shattered, that was the word she used, her reputation as a, you know, advice columnist on sex and relationships for Elle magazine. I was attacked on Twitter. I was attacked on Facebook. I was living in a new universe, she said. Now, remember, Trump continues to vehemently deny that this alleged sexual assault, for which he was held liable in the first E. Jean Carroll trial, fined $5 million and told to stop it and didn't stop it in terms of what he said about her, never met her, she's a liar, uh, led to this new verdict. But this goes back to the 90s, supposedly in a dressing room at Bergdorf Goodman in New York, and Trump continues to vehemently deny it, never met this woman, this never happened, witch hunt, and so on. Now, even in closing arguments, E. Jean's lawyer, Roberta Kaplan, who has represented uh, women before against Trump in the past, asked for an award of at least $24 million. So if you have the lawyer for the plaintiff asking for, you know, a, a huge sum of money, obviously Trump is wealthy, but still. And she cited the fact that Trump has estimated that his brand alone is worth maybe $10 billion. Donald Trump is worth billions of dollars, she told the jury. The law says you can consider Donald Trump's wealth as well as his malicious and spiteful continuing conduct in making that assessment. This was a damages-only trial. So she asked for $24 million and the jury awards more than three times that? $83 million dollars. Um, for many of Trump's supporters, especially considering this is a very old allegation that E. Jean Carroll didn't bring out until a few years ago when she wrote a book. Um, this is more of, you know, the, the law enforcement and the deep state conspiring against him, trying to bankrupt him, trying to put him in jail in the criminal cases. And as I said, look, I mean, has a former president of the United States ever been hit with uh, this kind of judgment? Ever been hit with uh, the civil fraud trial? Ever been hit with four criminal indictments? No. But the criminal indictments have only helped Donald Trump. Nobody disputes that. Ron DeSantis said that all the time. Told it to me before he dropped out of the race. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. 
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Story two. Got a lot of people now weighing in on Donald Trump psychologically, existentially, whatever. And I want to share some of that with you because, I mean, he is now widely considered by the media to be the de facto nominee. Yes, Nikki Haley is fighting on. And let me talk for a moment about Nikki Haley because I watched her interview on Meet the Press yesterday. And sure, she's more aggressive and Donald Trump brings chaos. And Haley says he's unhinged. He's unhinged. Uh, she said that on NBC. She says that in speeches now. It's part of her uh, stable of attacks against the former president. But when she was asked two questions by Kristen Welker, who did a very good job, and she, she'll ask the same question three times in a row, basically to show the audience that it's being uh, dodged. For example, will, will you drop out if you don't win South Carolina? And Haley said, well, I have to keep doing better. I have to do better than I did in New Hampshire, which was 43%. So now she's sent a benchmark. If she does less than 43% in her home state, she won't have met her own goal. But the questions toward the end were, one, about this E. Jean Carroll sexual assault verdict. And she just, is that disqualifying, meaning to serve as president? And she just kept repeating the same answer. Uh, I don't think it justifies being kicked off the ballot. Now, I thought... Kristen Welker should have varied the question and then said, um, what about, is a put legality aside, what is about a question of morality? Does it trouble you that a former and potential president, but she didn't do that. So, she, so Haley retreated to the safety of, well, he shouldn't be kicked off the ballot. And the second one was about Donald Trump mocking her name, using the Mamarada, her given Indian name. Nikki is her given Indian middle name. And she just wouldn't engage at all on that. She just pivoted away from it, would not say, you know, uh, and even when Kristen Welker said, is this racist? She wouldn't buy in. So she's still pulling some punches here. Maybe not wanting to sound so harsh that she alienates some... Uh, what would you call it, weak, wavering MAGA voters? I don't know, but, you know, she's a real underdog now, to put it mildly. I don't know if holding back is the right strategy. Okay, so, as I was saying, Wall Street Journal's Peggy Noonan, Nikki Haley is right to stay in and fight. No one has the right to shut her down. I remember George H.W. Bush at a difficult point in the GOP primaries in 1988, when she worked for him or had been a speechwriter for him. You have to show you're strong, all his friends would say. He'd listen politely and say, okay, what specific ideas do you have? And they would wave their hands and flounder. And finally, Bush Sr. would said, maybe I'll get off the plane, go up to the greeting party and slug him in the face, satirically speaking. Um, so... Peggy turned to her friend, Landon Parvin, longtime 
Washington speechwriter, who says this, go for broke. There's only one subject now, and it's Trump. Go at him. Feel the freedom of your situation. Self-respect is at issue. You're not slinking off under pressure. There is something glorious about a last stand. Lean into being a woman. The woman card is untapped by Republican women because they don't like identity politics. But the suburbs will appreciate it. Trump is going after you as a woman, calling you bird brain, <laughs> talking about the not-so-fancy dress, which, as I told you yesterday, it cost $580. You were once Little Miss Bamberg, South Carolina, in the pageant, and sang, this land is your land. That's a beautiful thing for the daughter of immigrants. Trump desecrates such images. Anyway, Landon goes on to say it's okay to note that you beat Joe Biden in the polls while with Trump it's a toss-up. I have heard her say that. Remember when Trump said he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue? People would still vote for him? Well, if he would try to shoot somebody in the middle of the street here in South Carolina, we would return fire. And that's what I intend to do today. He's a pretty good sort of phrase maker. Andrew Sullivan on his substack. And this is fascinating. Sullivan trying to say we should take Trump less seriously as a threat than in 2016. He says, the specific Trump promises I found most alarmingly authoritarian in that first campaign were his pledge to round up and deport 11 million illegal immigrants, abandon all Muslim immigrants, death threats to his political opponents, prosecution of Hillary Clinton, and a pledge to legalize torture in U.S. warfare. After four years... These fears were not borne out. He was bluffing, says Andrew. On the most authoritarian promises, he caved. He even talks about the summer of 2020, George Floyd, uh, police brutality. He says the military did not intervene. In these cases, looters were largely left alone or even celebrated by the woke left. Several cities burned for days. Um, and remember he was going to have a military parade on July 4th? Well, that didn't happen either. Uh, where Trump did act as badly as Andrew Sullivan expected were defending himself in these various investigations, revealing his contempt for the rule of law. Again, this is Sullivan's opinion. And, and of course, the 2020 election. But notice what these two deeply anti-democratic actions had in common. They were not ways to impose his actual power on anyone. They were solely designed to protect his ego that he would never be seen as having lost. So, all this... Andrew says are driven by Trump's egotism and cowardice. His decision not to march to the Capitol on January 6th is classic Trump. He's a wimp. Can't deal with actual confrontation. Fires people over Twitter. Dodges primary debates. He says, look, I know. This, that doesn't mean Trump is not a threat to democratic norms and legitimacy. But he says a second Trump term would require someone other than a psycho. Let's just say uh, writing in the British pugilistic style, he doesn't pull punches. Um, he says, I've come to see Trump's tyranny as psychological more than political. 
because he has neither the discipline nor the will to become a full-fledged strong man. He has the attention span of a TikTok tweenie. Didn't build a wall, you know, and it goes on and on. But we can't be sure he won't be authoritarian in a second, even though he's just made the case that he won't. He may not be the new Mussolini. It doesn't mean he isn't way outside the line for responsible government. David French, in his New York Times column, no one would claim that every conservative had character. We've seen far too many scandals for that. But I refused to believe the GOP would broadly excuse, rationalize, or defend a Bill Clinton in our midst. And here comes the candid part. I wasn't just wrong, says French. I was completely embarrassingly wrong. The winds were shifting. I could sense it, but I didn't fully understand it. Not until Trump made it all plain. The salient characteristic of the Republican Party wasn't ideology or integrity. Rather, it was animosity. And nobody models animosity better than Donald Trump. There have been previous Republican leaders who had projected animosity and displayed questionable character. He mentions Newt Gingrich. But they had also been orthodox conservatives in terms of ideology. What I didn't know until Trump was that animosity toward Democrats dominated the hearts and minds of Republican voters. Trump appealed to animosity, but he was also the least ideologically orthodox Republican to run for president in my adult lifetime, with by far the most dubious character. He derided the Iraq War, complimented Pan Parenthood, uh, celebrated war crimes, advocated trade wars, and lived and boasted of an extravagantly libertine life. The man wasn't a real conservative. At the same time, others among us remembered the Christian conservative outcry against Clinton's infidelity and believed that that would pull people away from Trump. But no, the mass of the GOP chose pugilism. If animosity toward Democrats was the primary Republican value, even more than ideology or character, you can see how never-Trumpers were destined to fail. Any critique of Trump has to end the instant it's perceived to help or signal agreement with Dems. Impeach Trump? Not in cooperation with Democrats. Indict Trump? Not if that's what Democrats want. By the way, I did know and talked about and asked Donald Trump about in 2015 and 2016 the fact that he wasn't an orthodox conservative. He wasn't a Paul Ryan, uh, smaller government, let's cut spending kind of conservative. He ran, as Democrats usually do, on protecting Social Security and Medicare. Now you can say, well, it's, the programs are going bankrupt, we've got to do something. Yeah, it's true, but that's in the longer run, probably the next 10 years. And his position was, and it's an appealing one, that's why Dems used it for decades, ever since uh, Social Security and Medicare were passed during the LBJ administration. You paid into this program, you worked hard, you deserve to get this money back when you are a senior citizen. By the way, NBC is reporting that Biden's campaign, trying to organize a fundraiser, I guess it's not quite done yet, um, Joe Biden... Bill Clinton and Barack Obama would appear together at a fundraiser this spring. People familiar with discussions. We'll see. Story three. Andrew Cuomo, former governor of New York. According to the Justice Department, and this came out just 
the other day, sexually harassed 13 women who worked for the state over a course of an eight-year period. And this came out because it was a civil rights settlement with his successor as governor, Kathy Hochul. Now, you've already known about these 13 women because there were allegations and there was, you know, the state AG investigation, Letitia James, uh, made that clear. But now you have DOJ, the Biden DOJ, by the way, going up against a very prominent Democrat, says Cuomo and his staff engaged in a pattern or practice of discrimination against female employees based on sex and retaliated against these women, Politico says found that Cuomo repeatedly subjected women in his office to non-consensual sexual contact, ogling, and gender-based nicknames. Top Cuomo staff were aware of the conduct and retaliated against four of the women he harassed. Uh, And this was especially egregious because of the stark power difference involved and the victim's lack of avenues to report and redress harassment, says the assistant Attorney General. So just buttoning that one up. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Now, story number four. Lots of war news and all of it bad. As you probably know, three American troops were killed yesterday in Jordan and 34 injured in a drone attack. This is just such a tragedy. And President Biden didn't mince words. He blamed the attack on groups supported by Iran. He said the U.S. will hold these responsible, those responsible, excuse me, to account at a time and in a manner of our choosing. Well, raising the question of, because you have some... Republican hawks like Lindsey Graham saying, you know, let's bomb Iran and think about the consequences of that. And that's the problem. Of course, Biden needs to retaliate. Of course, he has to show that an attack on American citizens by a drone tied to Iran. He says this in his statement. I think he should have come out to the cameras. These statements are all reported, but they don't have the force of a president saying this on camera. I don't understand. And this is not even like it'll help him in the campaign. Don't even think about that. We have three dead Americans, patriots, killed in effect by Iran. This was at a base housing about 350 troops in Jordan along the borders uh, with Syria and Iraq. And so this drone struck the living quarters and caused lots of injuries. I mean, including brain trauma. Some of the wounded required medical evacuation. And it's Biden who called them patriots in the highest sense. What does he do now? Is it going to be another sort of pinprick attack? Or is he going to risk a wider war? Of course, there's also a risk in the wider war in Gaza with a more devastating attack. Also, I mean, this is such an outrage that it just drives me insane and has absolutely tarnished and blackened 
the reputation of the United Nations. Here's Wall Street Journal, front page. The UN Relief Agency. We now have more details on this. In Gaza, an estimated 1,200 employees there under the banner of the United Nations are actually operatives of Hamas or this Palestinian Islamic Jihad. And about half have close relatives who belong to Islamic terrorist organizations, according to Israeli intelligence estimates shared with the U.S. government. The report said 23 of UNRWA's male employees, total staff there in Gaza is 12,000, took active part in the Hamas organization's military or political framework, a higher percentage than the average of 15% for adult males in Gaza. So not only is the UN itself, you know, incredibly biased against Israel and always blames Israel for any conflict, even as in this case, where it was the horrifically brutal attack by Hamas that started this war. Here are more details from the New York Times. One is accused of kidnapping a woman. Another is said to have handed out ammunition. A third was described as taking part in the massacre at a kibbutz where 97 People died at a kibbutz. All were said to be employees of the United Nations aid agency that schools, shelters, and feeds hundreds of thousands of Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. Also attributed to this dossier. Now, the UN said the other day it's fired several employees after being briefed on the allegations. Great. But... Eight countries, obviously including the U.S., have now suspended aid payments or some aid payments to UNRWA, which of course worsens the plight of Palestinians. But think about this. They are there and they participated in the October 7th massacre. Kidnappings, uh, killing babies, killing elderly people. Now, the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, said he was horrified by these accusations. But they all want the aid to continue. Yeah, right. I, I mean, is anyone ever going to trust the, US, the UN aid agency again? I wonder if this um, aid will ever be restored. And the question is, Is Hamas, I've seen various reports saying Hamas steals a lot of this aid. It doesn't get to ordinary Palestinians who there's no question are in a horrible humanitarian situation where there isn't enough food to go around, where there are diseases spreading. And that leads me into this last one. Uh, the Times reporting that American-led negotiators are edging closer to an agreement. The first version of this got shot down, so to speak in which Israel would suspend its war in Gaza for about two months in exchange for the release of more than 100 hostages still beheld by Hamas. The deal could be sealed in the next two weeks, or not. Negotiators have developed a written draft agreement merging proposals offered by Israel and Hamas into in the last 10 days. 
There'll be uh, talks now uh, in Paris, important disagreements to be worked out. President Biden spoke by phone with the leaders of Egypt and Qatar, who have served as intermediaries. I don't know if this is ever going anywhere, but clearly there's a lot of international pressure. There's even some talk, it's been reported, that President Biden is considering uh, reducing the flow of weapons to Israel, although I don't see how we're getting weapons to Israel now, given that there's no congressional authorization because of the border battle. But let's just say, trying to send BB a message. All right, number five, I'm coming back to the story about Vince McMahon, longtime chairman, former CEO of World Wrestling Entertainment. Well, on Friday, he resigned from the parent company's board, the parent company of WWE. One day after a former employee accused him of sexual assault and sex trafficking in a lawsuit. McMahon, who's 78, was executive chairman of the TKO Group. WWE employees were told about this in an email. He will no longer have a role, said the company's president. And... I don't want to go into all the graphic details, but I told you that this woman, Janelle Grant, in the um, lawsuit, and it's a lawsuit, describes in very graphic terms uh, not only how she was sexually abused by Vince McMahon, that he sent pictures of her, naked pictures, to others in that community, that one of the star wrestlers... And McMahon took turns raping her and the desecration involved. I mean, it's just stomach-turning. But I wanted to give you McMahon's side because he didn't immediately comment. And remember, he had pressured her to sign an NDA He, in exchange for $3 million. He paid $1 million and then he stopped. That's why we have this lawsuit. Now, McMahon calling... Janelle Grant's accusations in this lawsuit, a vindictive distortion of the truth. But he said he decided to resign out of respect for WWE, the parent company, and their employees and wrestlers. Now, McMahon and his wife, Linda McMahon, who later went on to serve in the Trump administration, founded the company that became WWE in 1980. Now, here's what McMahon told Deadline, the website Deadline. This lawsuit is replete with lies, obscene, made-up instances that never occurred, and a vindictive distortion of the truth. That was a spokesman from command saying he will vigorously defend himself. And a spokesman for this parent company, TKO. McMahon does not control TKO, nor does he oversee the day-to-day operations of WWE, while this matter predates our TKO executive team's tenure, we take Ms. Grant's horrific allegations very seriously and are addressing this matter internally. And he'd already been pushed out as WWE president and CEO back in 22 when an investigation of these sexual abuse and harassment allegations began. So, Obviously, the company is totally distancing itself from Vince McMahon. I don't know, though, addressing this matter internally, how? What? What are you going to do? You can do anything? 
How about an outside investigation by a respected law firm? Now, all I'll say is there are a couple of text messages that Janelle Grant received that she has reproduced in the lawsuit. And this is a huge scandal in a major sport that has millions and millions of followers. I wanted to give you both sides. That's the only fair way to do it. But as I said on Friday, this lawsuit is not going away. So once again, hope you had a good weekend. It's Monday. Back to the grindstone. I'm doing that as well. That's why I'm here. And happy to have you along. See you tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear Podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.